such a good old boy Never meaning no harm Beats all you never saw Been in trouble with the law Since the day they was born Good old boys. I'm Mark. Bog Beef. What's up, man? Ah, we're, we're, we got a good one tonight. We're talking about one of our boys. Yeah, back on back on home base. This is uh, <laughs> I mean, this is obviously we love Caesar, and uh, this is one of the things about learning about antiquity is that you can't just really learn Caesar, and also you can't just like learn it in one go. The way the way I work is that like I have to have like. Everything has to be like, uh, so I have this great mental picture of it, the way everything played out, but you have to like slowly build that out. Uh, you know, you learn about Caesar, but okay. You just know about Caesar, but then you're like, okay, there's this other guy named Mark Anthony and there's Cicero and there's Cleopatra and all those people. And, but you can't just learn that all at once. And so today we're going to be filling out the, I, I think would be the next person in, in line to learn about as you start to fill this story out. See, cause I want people to be able to see these events as, as, as like in their own mind as, is uh, his right hand man, Mark Anthony. I mean, not only was he one of Caesar's best generals and few lo- truly loyal friends, uh, he was Caesar's kind of his political heir, at least at first. Yeah. Uh, I mean, his, uh, you know, his son served as one of Caesar's generals and they were just, his fate was tied to him, and but there is a big difference. So you know these guys are fill the same roles uh, through their whole life. They both have to, to uh, do the same kind of stuff, but they're completely different guys. But they still made a hell of a team. Did you go to the beach last week? <laughs> no, no, I wish. Yeah, yeah, you would have found someone like uh, someone like uh, he was a beach guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, uh- Pretty much all the sources on him say that like, he was kind of like Patton in that he didn't really have a mind for peace. Like, well, if he left him to his own devices, uh, he would he would fall into trouble pretty quickly. Yeah, he was worse than useless during peace. There, this is this is something that comes up that there's. Um, so this is sometimes like something people joke about, like the like a peacetime general or a wartime general, and the joke is that like. Uh, basically useless people can be the general during, during peacetime. It's not really like that. I mean, there are, um, uh, administration is, uh, is important. Yeah. Like, okay. It, I love talking about the civil war. Uh, the union army had a, a really good peacetime general, uh, George McClellan. He was a great administrator by all accounts. Uh, his troops loved them, but when it came time to actually fight, uh, he was garbage at it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the wartime peacetime general, people make fun of that, but it's, it's, um, uh, generally the, the joke is that peacetime general can be anybody. It's not really like that. Uh, the, the administrate, like, uh, people, a lot of people talk about, um, you know, Genghis Khan, Kublai Khan, uh, basically Genghis Khan couldn't have man, couldn't have run the empire. Yeah. Well, it's an important, when we're talking about Rome, it's, it, Part of the reason why the Roman Empire like lasted so long and it was so successful was it was extremely good at logistics and and th- this kind of administration. Uh, but there are there have been empires in history that were like, that were not good at that, but they didn't they blew up fast. Like you, but they would last uh, a generation or two and then explode into a thousand pieces because administration logistics, even in the ancient world, it matters. Yeah, and. Uh... You know that there was a small story I saw when I was like I, I can't remember how old I was, but when um 
back in the back during like uh one of the Iraq wars, uh that guy who died not so long ago, the the defense minister for um for Bush. Rumsfeld. Rumsfeld, he brought in uh Walmart logistics people to to talk to um teach the military stuff. And I remember I thought that was ridiculous. A lot of people thought it was ridiculous. But then as you start to learn more stuff about war, like like you know, like the postal service was like came out of the military, like moving stuff to other places uh, on time and stuff like that. That's like this is like literally like invented by the military. Anytime, yeah. When you live in like what we'd call today a first world country, or if you were in antiquity, a civilized country, like being able to do that separates civilized from uncivilized. Like the, we take that for granted. Like you can send, I can send you a letter, and it'll and it'll go across the country and reach you in a couple of days. Like that's not, that's not an easy thing to accomplish, uh, especially over vast distances. Yeah. And the one, and one of the things that like Caesar, I think Caesar and Napoleon are the two figures that we know of that like they could do both. And it kind of fucks things up in terms of like uh, when they leave, because uh, they're generally not replaced by people who can do both. No, I, I want to do a podcast just on this subject someday about just how the the huge step down in quality from Caesar to the people who succeeded him. But you know, yeah. another time. You know, Napoleon would would basically he would stay back and essentially do this like uh, and do this like logistics stuff for all his marshals. But whenever things got really spicy, he would come in and actually do do the other part too. We have one of those figures kind of in our history, uh, Stonewall Jackson. You know, I, I, there's so many things named after him. He would move uh, He would move people across huge distances way faster than anyone thought was possible. You could say, t- take someone like him. He might have uh, extended the Civil War by himself a year or two. Uh, so let's, let's start with um, Mark Anthony here. <clears throat> okay, so we're going to go over some background stuff of, uh, of Mark Anthony and then uh, uh, get a little further. By the way, did you... Did you hear the um, uh, the Red Scare? Uh, they had like a, a big um, controversy about sunscreen. Uh, oh yeah, Anna Kachayan said that she stopped using sunscreen, and then people got really mad about that. I guess. Yeah, they said people were like, uh, you know, this would like uh, millions of Red Scare listeners would, uh, uh, you know, because you just you just do whatever the influencer says, and they're going to all go out and uh, die from not having sunscreen on. Well. I mean, she's she's Armenian, though. Yeah, she's this, not Irish. <laughs> yeah, this is one of those things that, like, um, uh, whenever you like compress information or there's the the loss in translation and stuff, is like I think I know what what the sunscreen like because like I think I know what they're getting at because like, do you wear sunscreen? Uh, so we'll, we'll, let's let's talk about that. <laughs> so, um, okay, so. Uh, I can't remember why, but I think my, my family went on vacation or something. Cause when I was, uh, much, I was a beach bum, like after I got, after I got yeah. out of high school for a couple of years, so that was different. But like a couple of years before that, I'm like 14, 15, uh, we go on vacation or something. So I'm gone like a, a, a week to the beach and, um, uh, uh, I didn't like wearing sunscreen. I just didn't like, uh, you know, spreading this greasy stuff on me. And then I, you know, you have to go in and out of the water and it's, 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 it's a mess. And uh, so I went out the first day, and uh, and I just got blasted. I mean, I was I was uh, I was pink. I mean, I was I was just burnt to a crisp. But like the thing is, like, um, it like until it's like uh, you know when you get burnt, it doesn't like 
there's a delay. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something people are, t- you know, you've seen there's a, a, people are posting like joke pictures about, um, like back in the eighties, there would be advertisements for like Winston, the official cigarette of the, of the 1984 Olympics. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, like boxers used to smoke before, like that's one thing about smoking is like, uh, it doesn't really hurt your lung capacity when you're young. It's something that catches up with you later. Yeah, I'm sure nicotine, like a nicotine rush in this, uh, before a sporting event. Like if if you're talking when you're young, the, the the I don't want to say the benefit might outweigh the cost, but on a temporary scale, it might. Yeah, if you're like a 20 year old boxer, yeah, it, I, it would. Yeah, it, I, supposedly Troy Aikman was smoking cigarettes. During uh, Cowboys games, even in the the nineties, there was a there was a great story from like the first Super Bowl and the Packers, and like the somebody got hurt and they sent in a guy. And he was like, uh, he was like drinking and smoking on the sidelines, and he got put <laughs> in the he got put in the game. But you know, I got I, I had that happen to me too once when I was in uh, like in ninth grade something like that. I went fishing out on the uh, on a river all day long, and I did and I wore uh, like either no shirt or like a tank top, you know essentially no shirt and I on my shoulders I got burnt so bad that I got you know the uh you know how your skin gets all mushy and like blisters and stuff if you yeah. get, I got I got that and it was horrible uh so you know I uh, uh when it comes like every day I, I don't I don't wear it I just get a farmer's tan and go with it yeah so I got and get 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 tore up right and um and then but you know like we're like uh you know we're on vacation this whole week like, what else am I gonna do so I'm like pink and it kind of hurts a little bit, but not all that much because it just hasn't like crusted up and had time to blister him. Yeah. So I go out back out the next day and I spend all day outside. And then I may have done it a third day. Anyways, the, the, the end result that like, especially my legs, because remember you could see them because I was playing basketball a lot of the time. And so I'd play games, I'd play like, you know, high school basketball games. My legs were purple for like six months. <laughs> Holy shit. Like they just like my my uh, I don't know if you can look this up in a medical dictionary or something, but like like my literally I look like a, a Martian for for like six months. I don't know what that is. I don't know if there's a name for that, but I swear to God this is true. That's what I want to know. We're talking about sunscreen. Do we like okay? If you're going to the beach and you you know you're going to be wearing nothing but shorts, like I I, I get it because I'm extremely Anglo Teutonic, right? I I, I got to put that on if I'm going to do that, or I will like. Or I will catch on fire. Like if we're talking like every like everyday use, no, I don't do that. Yeah, and there there's some ethnic stuff going on too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you're if you're uh, a if you're a mean a baddie like Anna Kachayan, you're probably gonna have a different experience with exposure to the sun than you know. Yeah, I dated a Cuban girl who, um, like, her skin was just like lily white. Like, like she just like uh, you ever seen like, um, uh, you know that. Like uh, the kind of the kind of women that would uh, you know Marilyn Manson would date the big titty goth girls and shit, right? And they just have like it's not like most like when people say white people's skin, it's generally this kind of reddish, a little brown kind yeah. of thing. Well, they just like just have like transparent right. skin. Uh, her skin was like that, but she could just go out and, and, and hang out at the beach for like twenty minutes and just have a little tan. I don't know how that works. <laughs> <laughs> cursed for our, our uh history of imperialism yeah so then so uh so i did become a beach bomb when i was like 19 20 but the thing is like i think i know what the no sun's because this no sunscreen thing this this is like a bap kind of thing right 
I think there's there's like it's there's two things. It's one, it's like uh, rejecting. I don't want to say modernity because that's kind of cliche, but kind of like you're you're rejecting what the you know what the experts tell you, and then the other thing is like that you're encouraging people to be outside, like go do things, physical things instead of sitting in front of their computer. Yeah, well, there's one like so uh, we know a girl who basically never goes outside without tons of sunscreen. Uh, like I don't think that's I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. And- no, we've seen her 23 and me, so I. I I, su- I got support her decision there. Yeah, but the like if you grow up in Florida, you see people who um, don't do that. Yeah, and, and they look like like leather suitcases. Yeah, they look like luggage. I mean, it looks really fucked up. If you're like super Irish and you just become beach bum and you just never wear that shit, and especially, I mean, if you're a guy, like who cares? If you look like a, a, a ghoul, uh, but women, like you know, they'll just look like like an alligator. Yeah, and women spend a lot of time and money on serums and all kinds of weird stuff to keep their faces looking young. So, like, uh, I would be surprised if any of these ladies who are advocating getting rid of sunscreen don't do something for their face, right? There's no way they're going out there without... The sun, like, the sun is literally, like... so you're just, you're just This is just literally, like, radioactive ways that you're, like, this, this is the thing that would age you. Yeah, yeah sure, yeah. I mean, yes, like... It, I'm almost certain because, like, every dude in my family gets uh, gets little—they uh, call it skin cancer, but essentially, it's like these—you know—it's these molds you got to get cut off. I'm sure I'm going to get them one day. But uh, anyway, <laughs> we, we we got here from Mark Anthony, but I don't remember how. <laughs> yeah, well, this is kind of this is kind of a, a mood thing uh, because if you're thinking about a beach guy, uh, and, and by the way, yeah. I think I think what they're getting at there is that like, okay, so when I actually did become a beach mom, like, I would have to like. Uh, I would I start out going to the tanning bed. I would like literally like I would have to do like one minute and then two minutes and then three minutes. Like I had to ramp it up over a month. Whereas like if you were like you know like like two percent um you know uh, uh, if you're I, mad yeah if you're like two percent Mediterranean you can just go sit in that bitch for like an hour. And be like ah oh, you know I felt something I think. I think the science explanation for this is like if you came from places that are northern latitudes, your skin your your skin evolved to absorb a shitload of vitamin D for the, like the the fifteen seconds that the sun was out. If you lived in uh, Norway or or Yorkshire, England, and that's why that happens because now that we've moved to, now that we've moved into places like Florida, Texas, Virginia, uh, we just melt. Yeah, this makes me think of another. If you notice, like now, like anyone, like uh, like it seems like a huge amount of models are basically like covered in freckles. Mm-hmm, yeah, the freckles look good, don't they? I, I got no problem with them. I mean, like generally, if someone has a ton of freckles, it looks good. When I was growing up, there was like like you would hear like in in movies and TV shows and shit. They would be like joking, like, "Oh, that person has too many freckles." Do you remember this? I know in Hollywood they went to great lengths to cover them up because every once in a while you see these photos of these actors without makeup on, like they're they they have freckles on their face and it was uh, it was noticeable. But it, but it looks good. I think you're getting in when you're getting into the territory there where it's like it it it's good it's good to you if like that's what you see every you know what I'm saying. To me, it's completely normal. But I guess if you if you don't, maybe you, like that those are blemishes to you. I I don't really not to me it looks fine. Yeah, I mean, uh, everyone knows, yeah, it like, because people, it would be tall, I don't know, I don't know where that was coming from, maybe I'm making that up. I, uh, no, you're, I mean, you're right, but 
I just, and you know, now yeah. they draw them on, you know, by the way. Yeah. And like, <laughs> does that look realistic to people who like, like you said, don't live in places where people have freckles? Cause that looks fake as fuck. It's so fucking obvious. Mm, it's like red hair. Uh, so when you were growing up, uh, girls hated having red hair. If you were in a place where like, uh, uh, there were a lot of Irish or, uh, I guess, yeah, Irish, Scottish, whatever. Right, like they they would having red hair was bad. They would complain about it. Yeah, well, yeah, it would. People the only but the only things people would say would be like things that like don't really. They would be like, "Oh, you look like redhead stepchild," or "You look like a ha- redheaded hamburger." I don't know, like and like these didn't like mean anything. <laughs> uh, I'd rather be dead like a bump on a log than to have a red head like a d- on a dog. You never wow. heard that one? No, that's <laughs> that's a little advanced. <laughs> uh, but i mean obviously like red hair is super like women dye their hair red uh if if it's novel to you then then it's it becomes more attractive yeah i i told some of this story before when we were talking about um asking women out like the first chick i asked out where i was like i got up the i got the courage to do it I'm like i was i was a fucking retard man because i was <laughs> like yeah. You know, I was thinking like, okay, so this is all I have to do. I just walk up to her and ask her. I didn't think about anything else. There's a lot of other things going on there. Right. There was like, uh, I don't know why, just because of where I live. Like, I think there was a Catholic, there was a Catholic church somewhere. But in general, like, you would know, like, your family would know, like, maybe two other families max that were Catholic. Yeah, my best, one of my best friends growing up was Catholic, and like, they were the only Catholics that I think I knew. Yeah, I had I had a really good friend that was that was Jewish named Josh. I had uh and I knew uh I knew we knew two families that were Catholic, but like it was kind of like it was a it was a huge novelty thing. You didn't really even really know stuff about. It. It's not like living uh you know, I would talk to like Yankees and stuff from up north and uh you know, they would have like all kinds of intricate jokes and stuff about this and that, but like it was just there just wasn't enough to really like ha- have jokes and stuff about it. I, I, I in the chat I linked to the surname of my only Catholic friend to give you an idea what kind of Catholic we're talking about. What is that? Uh, it's, it's it's Southern Southern. Uh, it's like Austrian or Bavarian. Mm. Okay. They're different. They're, they're, I, I've in later in life I came to find out they're a lot different than like Italian and Irish Catholics. <laughs> they do a whole different thing. Yeah, so we knew. Uh, so I knew an Ita- we knew an Italian family and we knew uh, 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 an Irish family. Uh, the Italian family, I just remember the, you know, the, the male of the family, the patriarch, uh, my dad's friend, he had some other name, but the name he went by was Dago. <laughs> nice. Lean into it. I, I think, you know, that's one of those things that like, I'm sure if like the population was like 49% Catholic and 49% like, uh, uh, you know, Protestant, like you don't do shit like that. But when you're like the only Italian family in town, like people don't even know what that means. Uh, so that was kind of funny. And then the other thing, the only other thing, so, uh, you know, you'd hear whispers. You'd say, um, first off, you'd be like, oh, you know, they, they're allowed to drink. Well, everybody drank. <laughs> it's just, they would, um, uh, you know what I mean? Uh, it wasn't a sin to them. Yeah. I don't know. Like I, I told the story before, but I, I had a relative who married into an Irish family and no, I think they, I think they're like. They're on the next level. They were yeah, able to. Yeah, but uh, if you were if you were Protestant, like uh, if you were Baptist and you drank, you were like supposed to like not let people see you at the at the liquor store and stuff. 
I suppose I, I think that really depends on the denomination. I never I never saw much of that around here. Now a lot of women, older women, were like that. Like my great grandmother, like what, she was like. <laughs> I mean, I know this sounds stupid, but like you know, there was a point when they invented the soda can, right? Like before you were getting your soda out of a bottle, and she and she refused to use soda cans for like ten, fifteen years because she was concerned people would think that she was drinking a beer. Nice. So she could only drink her Coca-Cola out of the bottle. Yeah, that's one of those things that's just sort of been retconned from American history that, like, uh, the the amount Americans drank. Uh, or it's a lie. Like, because th- that's one of the things they tell us about prohibition is essentially, like, people were just consuming just ungodly amounts of booze. I want, once you get older and, you yeah, you get around people, uh, yeah, I, I think that historically – Alcohol has been a much greater part of people's everyday lives than we were led to believe. Especially because uh, there is the Protestant thing, like you were alluding to, where it's like you don't want to advertise that you drink a lot, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, and the so the, the Catholics Catholics are big into something that I don't really think is is entirely unhealthy. It's they like the idea of like um, so a Protestant you're supposed to just like pretend you don't sin. In Catholic, they like the idea of like uh, that they're able to moderate it. So, like the one, like uh, one thing everyone knows, you know, so they they play bingo at their at their churches and shit. And the idea is like, I think the idea is like, okay, we're gambling, but like this is like a controlled environment. Yeah, that I that I do remember as a kid that uh, so the Catholic Church here did not do that as far as I know, uh, but the the local fire department would have bingo. At the, at the like like on the weekends to make extra money, and there were a lot of people who legitimately thought that was completely wrong and evil. Yeah, like that's the, that's yeah. not uncontroversial. Yeah, or it wasn't in the eighties. I mean, now I don't think anybody cares. Any, now we have now every fucking gas station has one of those video slot machines. So I guess yeah. I guess they won the war on that one, huh? Yeah, and then you know, but the Protestants they were like um. Like the men would play poker like crazy, but you play poker in the dark, smoky room with the guys. It's not sanctioned. Um, yeah. Anyway, well, you know how I feel about this. This is a speed limit thing. You know, I, I, it's better to keep it like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh God, I, I can't remember where I was going. Oh yeah, and sorry. <laughs> Beach bum Anthony asking the girl out. Yeah. So there was there was an Irish family in town. I didn't know anything about them, but um, we didn't know they had a shitload of kids. Oh yeah. There were like a dozen of them. Uh, yeah, one of them. Oh God, she was so hot, dude. Yeah, that's all. It, yeah, that's she, always how it works. She had it going on, man. She was, uh, she had red hair, and her face was just like one big freckle. It was super hot. And anyways, I got the courage to ask her out one day, oh. but I, uh, I chose the perhaps chose the wrong venue because I think she was into me. I'm not sure, but I. Well, this is this is this was my cope. My cope was that she did like me. However. Because I chose to, to uh, you know, attempt this in the uh, in the cafeteria, <laughs> not the most romantic place. Yeah, at, at, at full capacity, that um, I got BTFO'd. <laughs> uh, so back then, it was like you would ask a girl if you want to go out with me, right? And like that was uh, you were just like it was like changing your Facebook status before there was a Facebook status. Oh, I, I, well, this is one of the things that you fuck up with when you're when you're a young man. Like you have this all mapped out. So I had this mapped out. <laughs> we were we were gonna go to the uh there was a big amusement park, uh, you know, excursion coming up. And this is this is where I was gonna make my move. And I was like, okay, everyone we're going to this thing anyways. So I don't really know what the request was. The request was like, We uh, yeah, I was like, Will you go out with me to this thing? But we're all going anyways. 
And she said no. Yeah. I mean, you were like, you were good at, you were good at basketball. You were like over six feet tall, right? Yeah. That's pretty shocking. Did she yeah. already have a boyfriend or something? No, no. I think it was, uh, I think I just put her on the spot. I mean, if she's a good Catholic girl too, maybe that has something to do with your dirty pride. Yeah. And everyone in the school, they wanted me to date this other girl who was like the girl that everyone thought was most popular. And I didn't really like her. I remember I, she was like, oh, so, um, so like I did the same thing to her and she's like, okay, great, cool. And she's like the most popular girl, right? Yeah. By the way, her parents were like in like a weird like uh, cultist or something like this. Anyways, uh, so like uh, so like two days after I'm like quote unquote dating her, I had no idea what that meant. They found her in a bathroom like she had like razor blade her arms and stuff. Holy shit! And that was like the end of it. I just didn't like. I there wasn't any like. It's weird like because you when you're when you're like a teenager, you're like a dog. I especially did. I, there was no internal like monologue to myself. These things were just like happening, and I would like just observe them. Man, that was that was like a really early adopter for cutting, huh? Like, yeah, that was that wasn't a, really a thing back then. I mean, I'm sure it was, but it was really rare. Like, yeah, it's like one out of ten girls do it now or something, right? Yeah, her dad was a philosophy professor, Ugh. and like, uh, yeah, uh, I took his class when I was. Uh, uh, I I started taking college classes early, so I was like 15 or 16, and I took his philosophy class or something, and I wrote this paper about um, it was like uh, you know, I had no idea of what I was doing. But, you know, I'm, I'm so glad they didn't have like social media and stuff back then. I'm like 15 or 16, and I write this like essentially like um, like a Steve Saylor race realist paper. <laughs> Where I, where I said where I said essentially like you could like define the uh, the ethnic character of of uh, different European races by the cars that they produce. <laughs> what what, did it, what do you think about that? Oh, he gave me like an A plus and just wanted to talk about this like a, a lot. He thought this was genius. <laughs> what does the Fiat say about the Italian race? Yeah, yeah. The, uh, I remember they like they were part of like it wasn't like a cult, but it was something like one of these things. It wasn't Jehovah's Witness, but it was something like that. Yeah, I remember Seventh Day Adventists. Yeah, and I remember I'm talking to this girl, and like uh, for some reason, brought some Disney World got brought. It was they they had that new uh, that new water park at Disney Disney World that was pretty cool. Yeah, uh, Blizzard Bay or something like that. And um, yeah, I was talking to her. I was like, well, "What do you think about that?" And she was like, um, uh, "They Disney- boycotted Disney, right?" She gave me this look like I, you know, like I, like I murdered a cat, a kitten or something. She's like, "We're not allowed to go to Disney World." That that's a really funny thing because you remember in the it was like in the eighties and nineties, right? That like the Southern Baptists especially were really big on boycotting Disney, and it was treated like this like really funny thing, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem so funny anymore, does it? No, <laughs> it, it certainly doesn't. But but the you know it was like an. Uh, you could tell it was okay. So like, you know, I was, I was like, well, why is that? And then like, she launches like this, like, um, like philosophical, like, uh, stuff. But she's like, well, you know, it's like this, uh, it, their, their, their religion basically said the thing that was wrong with it wasn't that like any sort of policy stance and that is that it was wrong to create like synthetic reality. So like when, huh. you, when you go to Disney, we're like, when you go to, um, like the, uh, the, the castle, yeah, like people are dressed up like 
you know, like they're guarding the uh, the princess from uh, a Disney movie or yeah, something. Yeah, and you got people dressed up like Goofy and whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, or uh, you know, Aladdin will just walk up to you and be like, "Hey, I'm Aladdin." So they thought this was like uh, this was this was like uh, uh, I don't know if they were like uh, you heard you know the philosopher people are talking about now the um, uh, the fake uh, fake reality guy Baldry Yard or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if they were like uh, into that or something. But they were like, "Yeah, it's 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 evil to create uh, synthetic reality." Maybe it's something to that. <laughs> I, it, all these things, like I think back in my youth, the, the things that people said that I thought was ridiculous. It's like I have to reexamine all of them because, like, the, the synthetic reality thing would have sounded crazy in 1998, but uh, in 2021, yeah, you probably, baby, you're probably right. It's just a shame about the the razor blades thing. Yeah. Anyways, we got lost there. So let's let's get going. Okay. All right. So we're talking about Mark Anthony, Marcus Anthony. Uh, well, this so the, the most common thing people say is uh, Mark Anthony. Uh, you also hear Mark Anthony. His real name is Marcus Antonius. Yeah. If you try if you try to Google him now, you're just going to find up stuff about the the singer. It's, it's kind of kind of one of those things that. Uh, you complain about how the, the the Wikipedia for Buffy the Vampire Slayer is bigger than the one for Plutarch, but it's the <laughs> yeah. world we live in. Yeah. Uh, so uh, his father, he's the eldest son of uh, Creticus Antonius. So he's born in 83 BC. He's uh, everyone says uh, the, the the Oxford says dissipated youth. <laughs> yeah. That- that uh, yeah, Suetonius said something about that. Uh, Antony indulged in his very youth in every kind of dissipation and became distinguished by his lavish expenditure and extravagance. Yeah, so he was uh, so he was definitely a rich kid, and he was the kind of rich kid that like. Uh, so first off, he was like he was like uh, he was like buff, right? So he was uh, he was buff and good looking, and so he was kind of buff and the good look and good looking in the way that like. Um, the it, fat Tony way that like, like our our boy Taleb would say. Yeah, like um, like uh, you know, like a uh, uh, if you if you ever know people that like a uh, a guy in your high school that was like popular and cool, kind of like um, so like anyone that had any kind of like cool connections and stuff, like um, uh, they would want to hang out with him. So like rich, so like people much more richer and stuff, they would want they would want Aunt Mark Anthony to be their boy because that kind of like because he was like. Uh, he just he was really good looking, uh, uh, and he was and he was like he was he was muscled out. I mean, he was buff, uh, especially um, God. Who, who was the guy that was his friend? He was the dude that tried to bang Caesar's wife. Uh, Clodius. Yeah, he even hung out with Clodius, and Clodius was like, uh, I mean, he was a he was a real bad boy. Yeah, Clodius was like a. Mm. I don't want to say like a, a Jared Leto type, but right, but he he wasn't the the same kind of like super masculine, well, fat Tony guy. Well, I mean, so he was he was like a John Gotti. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he invented organized crime. If you want, if you yeah, in some sense. I, I, he's he wasn't really feminine, but he was like flamboyant. And Mark Anthony was definitely had flamboyant in him. So like uh, it not so not so flamboyant like um. A good person to think of, like, uh, you ever seen, you know, the uh, the Rock? Yeah. The Rock always wears, like, flowery Versace shirts and stuff like that. Right. That's kind of his thing. And, uh, you know, C- Caesar's always remarked that Caesar's, uh, you know, verbal style, and we have some of that, but also his, his, his writing style is just super masculine, what, when, where, why. Mark Anthony's not my, like that. Mark Anthony's like The Rock. He's 
he he's uh he's long-winded and and he's uh yeah well he 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 comes down in history famously in shakespeare for like this amazing speech that that like you uh you can it's been clipped a billion times like there's been uh, it's one it's one of the highlights of like of shakespearean play like and i mean that's not a direct quote obviously but it gives you an idea what people thought of him as an orator yeah, and, and the flamboyant. So another good example. So this is kind of like plays into like the rock thing. Is uh, uh, at like the height of him, um, he had so much money. He like he paid some guys. that was like, uh, so they they were gonna have a triumph, and he paid guys, and he's like, um, go get me like two lions, like white lions, and I want them to pull my uh, <laughs> my chariot yeah. in the parade. Yeah. Uh, they tried to do this, and the lions just like started biting people and shit. They're like, this, <laughs> lions don't like they don't work like that. But you can sort of get the the image, <laughs> like a Saudi prince with a cheat with a cheetah in his in his side seat of his Lamborghini. Yeah, yeah. So he's so he's cool and kind of flaky, but he's also flamboyant. He would he would be wearing big gold watches and stuff like that. He's also basically like he's super buff and super handsome, and that's kind of like um. Uh, and he has low impulse control. So let's let's we'll, we'll get back to sort of things about him. I'm trying to paint the picture of, of uh, paint the picture of him. So we'll, we'll bounce back and forth. So we'll go back to some stuff. Okay. So he has this dissipated youth, and of course, like any um, you know young noble, he uh, he joins the military, and he's he's pretty good at. It. He's really good at, it. and he especially is good. He's an excellent cavalry commander, which is was not a strong suit f- uh, for the Romans. Yeah. Yeah, this is uh, this is kind of a you know it's a it's fighter pilot. He's he's a he's a great fighter pilot. Yeah, this is something like um you know like Florida uh you know uh Florida teams, Southeast teams in the NFL. I mean, sorry, in college football, they don't generally have like great quarterbacks and stuff. But every now and then one will, one will come along, and it's kind of like a big deal. Yeah. Uh, so he's kind of so he's he's so he's he's young, good looking. He's uh, he's uh, really buff, and now he's also he's got he's kind of a, like a hot shot pilot basically. He's because uh, you just literally just have to do that. He serves under Gabinius in the Middle East, uh, and you know cavalry. Uh, so cavalry is less important. Like the further west you go, yeah. As the as the Roman Empire moved towards the east, and uh, especially when it became the Byzantine, what they call the Byzantine Empire, it, it, it shifted a lot of focus. From infantry to cavalry, like you had to, if you if you were going to fuck around in Persia, you had to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, being great at like uh, at, at riding horses and stuff, that just like you could be like a, a pretty awesome at the military and stuff, but not everybody was really great at that. Caesar was a, a fast rider, but he was not a great uh, like cavalry. Um, he he preferred the uh, he, he preferred to fight with the infantry. Okay, so he's in he's in the Middle East uh, as a cavalry commander from uh, in, in fifty seven through fifty four. This is like a being a cavalry commander. So you need so you have a smaller force to work with. You're more mobile. You need to be um, so like if you're in regular infantry, uh, a centurion or whatever. Basically, you just you have a one job, a simple job. And you need to get it done. A cavalry commander it has to be more dynamic and and like uh, improvising and things like this, right? Yeah. Oh, like the Roman style of fighting on foot was like very. Uh, it was like you're almost like a part of one big machine, right? Yeah. We talked about this a little bit in our original guns that like guns episode, like chariots and and later on cavalry were were like. 
fighter pilots is probably the best is probably the best analogy. Like you're you're kind of you're a hot shot. You're you're a little bit on your own. You get you have to make your own decisions. You have to improvise. You have to you know be the guy yourself. Yeah, and uh, and so he's serving under Gabinius. He joins Caesar in Gaul. Uh, at some point, I would, uh, I, anyone's with any interest in this time period should check out, uh, uh, Caesar's, uh, Gaul diaries. But, yeah, it's commentaries. You have both of them. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's like a really famous campaign. Caesar basically, uh, uh, brings, uh, France under, Fran- Gaul is France. He brings France under, uh, the Roman Empire. So uh, he joins up with Caesar there, uh, and he distinguishes himself at, at Alicia. Caesar's, you know, Caesar's job is is Caesar's not really communicating a lot to the uh, to the, the <laughs> cavalry when he's when he's leading the infantry. The cavalry basically is just out there on their own. They're making, they're doing scouting. They're they're doing. They're like they're kind of on their own. And basically, yeah, that was that was true up until like to the end of cavalry, really, until like the the early 20th century. That's how cavalry is always, always operated. That's why you would have these famous generals who, who like made their mark that way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. People, uh, people fought with swords and spears on, on horseback up into like world war one. Right. Yeah. And the, the, the funny thing about the Romans, um, it's kind of a little sidetrack, but not, but not really. If you're thinking about what they're actually doing. So the Romans, it didn't uh, they had saddles but they didn't have stirrups so like you're riding you're uh, riding around fighting people uh basically holding holding on to the horse with your with your thighs right you're, yeah so you don't fall off uh that uh, that's pretty fucking crazy and insanely dangerous they they're like one of the only like uh you know super uh effective armies whatever that uh and it was kind of weird for the time they did not emphasize cavalry uh, they were an infantry army, and they would generally use like locals or, or mercenaries and stuff to be their cavalry. But they did have Roman cavalry. Uh, anyways, uh, he's he's got so he's Caesar's left wing at Alicia, where the walls breach, and he basically saves Caesar's ass. And he did it like on his own without being like so he like he's in a really bad situation, and he comes up and and he and he he comes up uh, a clutch. In the moment, and Caesar saw this and was like, "Okay, this kid's got the stuff." He's tied him through family stuff before that, but essentially, at that moment, Caesar's like, "This is gonna be this is gonna be my right hand man." Even people who even people who did not like Mark Antony and and wrote uh, essentially extremely defamatory stuff about him after he was dead, uh, they all admit that he was an excellent soldier. Like the. Uh, like I said, even people who loved who, who loved Augustus or was or writing in the in the future to suck up to him after he, you know, had had a, had a war with Anthony. Like they all they all like they had to admit he was actually really good at, at at this. Like that that's that's not saying nothing when you when you read the, the words of ancient historians. Yeah, uh, here's a quote of fine physique and with a constitution <laughs> which excesses and hardship alike failed to ruin. Antony was a natural soldier, and his courage, affability, and generosity made him a great soldier's leader. Yeah, I actually, and we'll get into to why later. But like that, that affability and generosity—that's kind of a double-edged sword. Yeah, it, but it, it, this is something that come up with Caesar a lot. That uh, uh, if you were stingy to your guys, they're not going to fight for you as hard. And this is important. So, like, if you capture a lot of gold and treasure and stuff, um, 
your willingness to let your guys have it more than you, uh, than other people. Because, uh, you know, you could just get assigned, like, you could, someone, you could be, you could get elected, you could get assigned a Roman military, and you could treat them like shit. And a lot of people did that. A lot of people would just go out there and be like, okay, you give me, give me everything they took, and uh, sorry. Yeah, you, you, you make it a good point, because when we're talking about Roman military, it, when you signed up to join, to join uh, Antony or Caesar, it wasn't the salary that you were getting that was what you were looking forward to. Like you, you got a pittance. It wasn't. It wasn't great. Uh, what, what it was is you waiting for you won a battle and you could just like uh, steal all the belongings and uh, enslave people uh, that you conquered. And how generous you were with your split of that made uh, was the difference between like uh, whether they would fight for you or fight for somebody else. Yeah, there, there's a pretty good chance that people uh, in the past, like, 20, 30 years, uh, well, Huey Long talked about this. Huey Long talks about the people, There's rich. there would be uh, rich, powerful people in our government that would essentially uh, get the army to uh, give them some troops. They would take them somewhere in, in Central America, and they would use them to uh, get them a bunch of money, and they would just, like, gee, thanks. Uh, that's kind of weird. Uh, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, well, that's not how these guys roll. Uh, here's a quote about Caesar. His contempt of danger was not so much wondered at by his soldiers because they knew how much he coveted honor. Uh, this is something one of the, the soldiers said was that like, it, it looked like Caesar wanted the honor more than the money. And so he would give his guys the money. That's def uh, that's objectively true about Caesar. Uh, again, a, a thing that even people who who wrote later who hated Caesar had to admit. Like he he was not a glutton in any sense of that. He was not in any sense of the word. He, like when he died, he didn't have he didn't have a, a, a shitload of money like you would expect someone in his position to have. Yeah, because because he he pretty much was constantly spending every every cent that he earned like on, on uh, consolidating more and more power. That's one of the best parts of when he's giving the oratory speech for Caesar. Uh, you know, I've come not, uh, but uh, when he's given the speech, that pe- first people people are just kind of like in a shock, and he's talking to him, and then he reads off Caesar's will, where he gives like most of his stuff to the people of Rome, and the people just start screaming with rage when he, they hear that. Uh, but th- but this is me before that. So let's keep going. Okay, so uh, so he's elected Quaestor in fifty one. He's elected Tribune. That's like president in forty nine. Uh, generally, basically, when Caesar's out there on campaign um, for several years, uh, Anthony is either either his right hand man, like in the battle. But later on, he Caesar's got so much stuff going on in Rome that Anthony is basically uh, Caesar's representative in Rome while Caesar's gone. So like when uh when when the Senate passes the uh uh the edict that Caesar needs to die basically uh you know Anthony was in Rome he heard it he gets on his horse and rides rides to Caesar to tell him. Mm, well, I mean Anthony tried to stop it. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, but uh so but uh, so let's think about it. so like that's a lot of trust. I mean these guys really 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 trust each other. Yeah. That's not super common. Uh for multiple reasons. <laughs> Yeah, well, Caesar trusted Pompey, and how did that turn out? Yeah, but I mean, he would have never trusted Pompey like 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 uh, like Anthony. I think one of the reasons one of the reasons why Anthony is the perfect right hand man is that so like uh, so if if Pompey is your right hand man, he's gonna he's gonna whack you. This is something that comes up in in the in the um, 
and the mob history a lot is that like uh if the second in command is like has the stuff if he's like as if he's like as as competent as you are um you you're gonna you're gonna be sleeping with the fishes and that was the the famous quote about Pompey is that he couldn't he couldn't tolerate an equal and Caesar couldn't tolerate a superior. <laughs> yeah, so Anthony was a guy who could tolerate a superior. He, he could play second banana to Caesar. Yeah, and, and there's a, this is and that's kind of like what we're gonna be talking about tonight. It's a being like being second banana because we live in a culture that sort of like um, it feels like you're you're fucking up if you're not the guy. But being being first off, like uh, being the guy is not what you always what you think of it as. No, it's ter- It can be terrifying. Before we get there, let's finish up some some um, some more background stuff. So, uh, okay, he selected choir store in fifty one. He's left from tri- Tribune forty nine. Uh, he was left in charge of Italy when Caesar was in Spain during the Civil War. When like, Caesar had been outlawed by the Senate. A, a- Literally, uh, and and he's at war with Pompey. It's a huge, it's a, like it's a huge like it, the two greatest powers in the Republic are fighting each other. Uh, after after he wins the first set of battles and and takes Rome back, he leaves Antony in charge there to be his to like to to speak for his will. We we can't you can't trust enough how much trust that is. You're putting him uh, you're putting him in charge of the home front in the middle of a huge civil war where like uh, there's no clear sides. People are defecting. Uh, you know the people are raising legions in different parts of the world. Uh, that to, to to put him in in charge of Rome like you're you're putting him in like in the seat of power in your stead. And people but people are uh, people are constantly trying to get him. They're like. Hey, let's just kill Caesar, and you you can take over. Uh, this happens all the time. Or he's he, of course, never accepts. So essentially, there's no Caesar without Anthony. Yeah, and so <laughs> there's some. Like, we're, we're talking about the right now the the period when Anthony's Anthony's in Rome, right, while ruling in Caesar's place, right. Mm-hmm. I, I have a great <laughs> a great quote from Suetonius about this. The quiet state of Italy gave Antony an opportunity of indulging his natural love of pleasure. It was during this time that Antony divorced his wife, Antonia, and lived with an actress named Cytheris, with whom he appeared in public. Yeah. See, this is one something that's sort of um, part of being uh, Anthony. So some, Anthony doesn't have a ton of impulse control. <laughs> yeah. Anthony likes to party. Anthony likes girls. Uh, I mean, and he's, um, you know, Caesar likes women, but Caesar, Caesar puts his, uh, his lust second to being the guy, which was something we'll talk about more later, but you might even go further than that. Like, okay, Caesar's famous love affair was with Cleopatra. And that wasn't just like a, uh, necessarily like a a romantic happenstance. Uh, He was trying to create an heir with the queen of Egypt. Yeah. which was the, one of the most like one of the richest places in the in the world at the time. They would have ruled the world together. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and by, uh, yeah. So, uh, so so here's some more background stuff about him. So okay, decent politician, but seriously hampered by temper and quote unquote self will. He's obstinate. I mean, uh, if you piss him off, uh, he'll let you know. He he. he he can't he can't be Mac he can't be Machiavellian because he does he's uh, he's too damn mean. If you yeah. if you dishonor him, he is just not going to put up with it. Oh yeah, for sure. 
if you if you talk shit to Caesar, Caesar could could just uh, it could just roll off his back because he he always looking bigger, you know. I want to I want to put a pin in the the mean part though because we we, we need to we yeah, we he, need to wait for, for the narrative to move along. But the, yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, he wasn't. It's not like he's nasty, but but like uh, if you he didn't follow Caesar's philosophy of forgiveness. Yeah, uh, yeah, but you know, but he also this this is a guy with a serious temper, and also he's like the most muscular dude around. The one like one of the main like when they actually killed Caesar, one like the main goal of the guys trying to kill Caesar was to make sure Anthony wasn't in the room. Because, yeah, because he might have gone ham and, and killed a bunch of senators. Yeah, yeah, because you you wouldn't want to took on Anthony with a knife. This this is a big motherfucker that would kick your ass. So during the Civil War, Caesar puts a lot of faith in Anthony. And uh, let, let, let's let's start with the the Plutarch quote. Uh, you you love Plutarch. Plutarch had a quote about what Anthony was doing was up to while Caesar was fighting Pompey. His drinking bouts at all hours, his wild expenses, his gross amours. <laughs> The the day spent in sleeping or walking off his debauches, the nights in banquets and at, and at theaters and at celebrating the nuptials of some comedian or buffoon. <laughs> it is related that drinking all night at the wedding of, of Hippias, the comedian, on the morning, having to harangue the people, he came forward, overcharged he was, and vomited before them all. <laughs> One of his friends holding his gallop for him. Now, like to, to understand like who, who, what Romans were like, like uh, it's kind of hard to understand because our culture is so different. Like uh, being an entertainer in our culture is like a really it's a, it's, a, it's a high value thing, right? Like if, if you're like a, a musician, you're the king of shit mountain, right? Yeah. For Romans, it was the exact opposite. Like being a comedian, being a, a, a musician, what a dancer or whatever. Like you would have those people around, but they were like scum to the. Well, to the, uh, it, it's complicated. So it's kind of like it's kind of like the gladiators thing, right? So yeah, like, yeah. They're um, okay. So first off, they are famous. They uh, they may even have some money. They may even like have sex with people who are like uh, uh, famous and like um, and like important. And like, uh, and not not seedy, but there's a huge amount of like, uh, 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 you know, disvirtue attached to them. Yeah, think think of like rappers in the '80s, right? Like or, or, or early '90s. Like they like they're popular and and young people love them, but to the people like the you know the ruling class, that's beneath contempt, right? It, I, I, they, I, like, they enjoy they enjoyed watching them, but like if your son said like, hey, I I, I want to get into a little bit of uh. You know, into a little bit of theater, uh, you would you would fucking despise that. Yeah, it would be like um, I guess something like a Marilyn Manson or like a porn star or something where like yeah, it's perfect. Like like you like you might have had an idea that like famous people probably partied with like Jenna Jameson or something like that, but like they would not have let anybody know about it. Exactly, and so we we got Anthony doing that while while Caesar's off in Egypt, and. At the same time, as we said before, like he's shacking up with, <laughs> with, with some uh, some actress after he's abandoned his wife. Uh, he 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 went he he went to seed as soon as soon as like he he put away the sword and was in charge of him. He went to seed and he 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 did such a bad job as the leader. Like uh, when by the time Caesar gets back from winning the civil war against uh, against Pompey, Rome's almost in revolt. Antony has fucked everything up terribly. Like when he was the 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 time that he had to be the guy, uh, it it was disastrous. He just instantly t- 
turn into this drunken buffoon and he went from being, you know, the the, the guy who who you you would put everything in in Elysia, or like it, it, when he's fighting Pompey, like it, he he really relied on Antony to win these battles, and then as soon as that's over, he just becomes this useless drunken drunken fool. Here's uh back back to Plutarch. Antony in more in in misfortune was most nearly a virtuous man. It is common enough for people when they fall into great disasters to discern what is right and what they ought to do. But there are but few who in such extremities have the strength to obey their judgment, in either doing what it approves or avoiding what it condemns. And a good many are so weak as to give way to their habits and all the more, and are incapable of using their minds. Antony, on his occasion, was, most, was a most wonderful example to his soldiers. He who had just quitted so much luxury and sumptuous living made no difficulty now of drinking foul water and feeding on wild fruits and roots. Nay, it is related they ate the very bark of trees and in passing over the Alps lived upon creatures that they had no before been willing to touch. He's a survivor. This, That's what he does. This is something that um, Dr. Drew, I heard say something just almost exactly like this. Dr. Drew, uh, I mean, he's a famous guy that, that treats uh, addicts, right? And they were talking about like, uh, 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 like he was just sort of uh, talking more philosophically about addiction before. And they were saying like, well, like, so one thing people know about addiction is that it's, it's like hereditary to some level. So like, uh, if you go to a doctor and say, you think you're, you're hooked on heroin. Like the first question is like, do your, one of your parents have it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the reasons that that's weird is that means that like, this is like a gene that survived, which means it has some utility. So what, how is that? How could being like the, the 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 genetics to like be an addict be survive? And his idea, and what he said, what the best that he could determine is that this is like he literally called it survivor gene. And he said that basically these people that have this are just like they're useless in time in good times. However, if you go to like a horrible situation, like um, I think of like uh, what's that place that that. Russia had those horrible wars with in the eighties and shit. Afghanistan? No, the the uh, they're like Chechnya. Yeah, so like yeah. someone like someone with with this gene would like they would thrive in Chechnya. Uh, they like when there's nothing when there's nothing to eat when there's horrible times. Uh, uh, he gave an example of a of a there was a horrible plane crash in like the middle of the mountains and shit. And like the guy who was a, a wild drunk just turned into like a uh, Superman. <laughs> and, yeah. And that's Anthony is definitely a drunk and he's definitely an addict. And that's, this is like, this is a big part of Anthony. When we reach this point in this, like the story of Mark Anthony, you, now it comes down to like who you believe and you can't read any one sort. Like I, Bogbeef keeps quoting Plutarch and, and I agree because Plutarch comes closest to I don't want to say unbiased but like he's he's more fair towards Antony. There are some people who clearly like uh, uh, writing just uh, not not just uh, implicitly but explicitly say like he's just like the worst person in the world because either they loved Cicero or they hated Caesar or both. I I love Plutarch because first off Plutarch is like he's most definitely like not a a a, a popularist guy. But he's very, very fair. He's, yeah, he understands. It. He he sees why they they did what they did. Also, especially with Anthony, he had a family. He he said like his grandfather or something was a uh, worked in the kitchen for Anthony. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, it's it, it's not like a super confirmed, and, and it's like uh, there's there's some years they're distant. I can't remember if it's a great grandfather, grandfather, someone whose family worked in one of like a, in a very very low low position, like a, like a, a cook, like a line cook or something. Yeah, and he um, he was probably very generous to the people who worked for him because he sure did like drinking and and eating. But let's think in our, our minds now. Okay, the Civil War we're skipping ahead. The Civil War's over. Uh, now Caesar's trying to rule Rome. He's forgiven his enemies who fought against him with Pompey, and something happens. Uh, it's quoted, it's talked about in Shakespeare. Uh, it's in Antony's speech in Shakespeare. There, there's a a festival, uh, Lupercalia, right? Is that how you say it? Yeah. It was, the funny part is, according to Appian, Antony, because like the religious, this is the way the religious ceremony was set up, and this was his job. He's buck naked and oiled up. When this is happening, he tries to put a, a a crown, like a diadem, on Caesar's head, a couple times. Like he's like trying to make him king, and Caesar makes a big show of saying, "No, no, no, don't do that." Uh, you know, I'm not. That's not for me. You know, uh, but according to some of the conspirators, like that's one of the reasons why they one of the inciting incidents why they said they had to kill him because like Antony doing that was like, well, he's eventually not going to turn the crown away. Offering him this puts him so far above the rest of us that we have to get rid of him. Yeah. Uh, the problem with becoming emperor is essentially like an elite overproduction thing. <laughs> yeah. Rome runs off of uh, uh, Rome runs off of uh, ambition. And if there's a king, then what's there to be ambitious for? Yeah. That's a problem. Uh, by the way, uh, do you know much about Lupercalia? No, other uh, it's it's like it celebrates the the she wolf, right? That okay. it suckled Romulus and Remus. So first off, it's it's like spring break. <laughs> like in the MTV sense. Uh second off, like it's what used to be Valentine's Day? Huh, I didn't know that. Yeah, February 15th. Uh this is what used to be Valentine's Day and instead of uh you know giving chocolates to uh, uh you know some woman you've been uh you know uh dating at second base with for uh you know 6 months uh Lupercalia so there were like the 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 like the priests would like so every, all the women would run around na- everyone would get naked and run around the streets and uh, if a priest came by and uh and smacked you with a whip on the ass that meant uh, you were you were like uh, going to get pregnant or going to get married like soon. <laughs> uh, so like and like these were like you know whip back then was like a you know like an agricultural tool. It would like draw blood. So like this is like every so this is like a a, a booze blood and like a sea soaked event. It was a it was a wild sex party basically. Everyone's drunk off their ass. Yeah, I bet you didn't know that when you were watching, when you were listening to like Shakespeare saying, you know, thrice upon the Lupercal. Yeah. yeah. I didn't, I did not know any of that. Yeah. They, uh, yeah, they partied, uh, they partied hard. This is, I mean, this is, uh, this, this is the kind of environment that he came out of. That's one of the fun things about Rome, uh, and why people have a hard time understanding why, like, like the joke, like the men love Roman history. It's because Romans were like, they're, they're kind of like us, but they're also super weird. Like they're a little bit alien. Like in some senses, like they're very prudish people, but in other ones, they're doing this. I don't know, man. I can see it. I, they're the most human people. Like there, uh, I mean, so I came from a, a place that celebrates spring break and it is not fucking different than, than what I've seen. Right, right, right. right, I saw when I was like 16, I snuck into this bar during spring break and there's all these college kids that they're on stage. They had this, they had this like wheel of fortune. They would spin around, which you would have to do on stage. (laughs) Yeah. 
Uh, so, like, these college kids would be up on stage. They spun this thing, and one of them, I won't even say what it's, I won't even, like, repeat the words that it said. However, uh, I saw, like, on stage, there's, everyone's there, and it's everyone's just drunk out of their ass and, like, like looking fucked up and, like, just, you know. Uh, anyways, someone uh, stuck their tongue up someone else's butthole on stage. Wow, that was a... Uh early adopter for the eating ass train huh yeah i like this was just a completely like what is that uh they had the the two spirits of of bacchanalian yeah yeah this was like an absolutely romans this was a bacchanalian scene like all the way uh i can see it man i can totally see it anyways (laughs) anthony anthony fit in uh fit in very well there and you know anthony if not for the odds of march I'm sure Anthony's life would have taken a, a very different direction, but we, we, we've alluded to it. We, we mentioned already Caesar's killed. Uh, Cassius wanted to kill Anthony, and some others wanted to kill him, but Brutus vetoed that. They were Brutus and Anthony were kind of friends. Let, let's uh, let's stop here and talk about. First off, uh, like Caesar and Anthony really did trust each other in a yeah. way that's not super common. And one one thing, so like. If anyone else had been Caesar and 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 consolidated power, they would have killed Anthony. Like first thing, that's just the most obvious thing in the world. Everyone would like that's ex- like as soon as you win, as soon as you you consolidate power, you kill your right hand man. Like that's just like the most obvious thing in the world. Uh, here's an example: Cuba's been in the news lately. People love um, uh, Castro is definitely Chad as fuck. <laughs> yeah, Castro is a badass dude. I mean, uh, him and a bunch of guys, AK forty seven, run around the woods, took over this country. Uh, he's a uh, he's a bad. Yeah, it was a ridiculously small amount of people. Yeah, yeah, like him and thirty people uh, did this. Yeah. Uh, here's a little story about this because so, um, there's a lot of a uh, funny like um, uh, you know social democrats who think like uh, Castro <laughs> is like Bernie. Uh, let's talk about this. <clears throat> here's a quote. Che had made, made this stuff about uh, Che. So Che's the guy in the Rage Against the Machine shirt, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, che is a, a very romantic figure. He went on these, these uh, you know, tours on his motorcycle. He was a doctor. Um, uh, a very, this very romantic figure. Women think he's very handsome. Uh, yeah, let's talk about it. And, and Che was his second command. Che was, was uh, Fidel Castro's Mark Anthony. Let's talk about this. Okay, Che may have been second in power to Fidel himself. Indeed, that was likely his greatest fault. Castro forced Che out of Cuba in 1965 partly because of Che's popularity, which made him a potential rival for authority. Castro sent Che on a, on a mission to Bolivia, but towards the end of March 1967, Castro simply cut off Guevara's support, leaving him stranded. Captain Gary Prado Salmon, the Bolivian officer who captured Che, confirmed that Guevara told him that the decision to come to Bolivia was not his own. It was Castro's. One of Fidel's biographers remarked, in a very real sense, Che followed in the shadows of Frank Pais, Camilo... uh, Cienfuegos. Yeah, Uber Matos, and Umberto Soro Marin, all close backers of Castro during the revolution. Like them, he was viewed as Castro as a competitor for power, and like them, he had to be moved aside in one manner or, or another. Che was killed in Bolivia, but at least he escaped the, escaped the ignominy of execution yeah. by his revolutionary rival ally, Fidel Castro. Yeah, uh, Stalin did the same thing. Uh, Hitler did the same thing. It's, it's, uh, it, 
it's it's very tra- it's a very trad way to deal if you, with, when you come to power. If you take over the world or your country or something, you should do this unless you really really trust your guy. People were very cynical about the American Revolution, uh, you know, for a lot of reasons. But uh, the American Revolution was was pretty bloodless in comparison. Like, uh, you know, George Washington stepped down from power. Uh, by the way, King King George said that made him like the greatest man on earth doing that. Washington uh, secured like not being whacked, basically the same way a lot of people have done in the in terms of that uh, he had he maxed out his honor. <laughs> well, yeah, there was the. Uh, there's so many great Washington stories. My favorite one was the one where there was uh, like the the after right after the war was basically over. The the army was ready to revolt because they hadn't been paid, and like they were uh, there was a conspiracy to maybe just take the army and wa- and march to Philadelphia at gunpoint and like arrest Congress and get their money right. And uh, supposedly Washington like called his officers in and uh, into the room and and he was going to read a letter from like john hancock you know it was just like like hey please don't do this we're going to pay you and all washington did was say he took out his he took out a pair of glasses no i guess no one had seen him wearing glasses before he goes if you gentlemen excuse me i've not only gone gray but almost blind in your service and like according to the legend like people like grown men started to cry after they heard that just like just him doing that ended the conspiracy right there like that was the kind of gravitas that he had yeah, uh, this is something that's kind of lost in the um, uh, uh, Robert E. Lee thing. As uh, so Robert E. Lee definitely had this. Uh, even if you were a unionist, even if you were in the North, even if you hated his guts, uh, he just uh, he ticked all these these uh, honor boxes that you you couldn't treat him in a certain way for for good reason. Even if you were a, a diehard unionist, like uh, there were people who wanted to keep fighting like a, a guerrilla war. In the South, after the after the war was lost, and Lee was was probably the main voice that said, "No, we're not going to do that. The war's over. It's time to it's time to hand our swords over and and you know act like adults." Yeah, I mean, so the war almost if if Lee hadn't agreed to fight for the South, is is it possible that the war wouldn't even been fought? No, it would have been fought. Like, uh, it probably would have just it probably wouldn't have gone on as long. I, like, Lee hadn't uh, hadn't joined uh, the war; it'd probably been over sooner. Yeah, uh, I don't know if people know this, but he was he was offered to to be the the, the general of the North first thing. I mean, Lincoln, uh, he because he, he was the guy. I mean, he was uh, and the closest. And this doesn't even mean necessarily that someone's a good person. The best example I can think of is Cato the Younger. Uh, I think Cato Younger is a piece of shit. However, uh, he was very honorable, and so even if you hated him, you you couldn't you you had to uh, you had to come at him a certain way. This is something that Mulberg talks about in terms of like um, uh, being a dissident. If you um, if you inhabit a lot of things that people find dishonorable, you will be treated much worse. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like uh, Caesar's a good example. Caesar. There are a lot of academics who hate him, but like begrudgingly, he's by people who, by all rights, should have hated him. He's regarded as an honorable and and good man, and his death is well. In 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 Dante's Paradiso, like uh, t- two of the guys in hell were people who betrayed Caesar. Yeah, the de- like the devil's chewing on Brutus and Cassius, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, so but all right. Well, speaking of Brutus and Cassius, they've murdered. They've killed Caesar. 
Uh, Anthony is is spared, but he he he, he, he le- smartly leaves town, figuring he doesn't know that he doesn't know they're not going to kill him, so he leaves town. He shows back up once he realizes that they're not planning to do that. And here's how you know how much Caesar trusted, or, or, or the Caesar's people trusted Anthony. Caesar's widow gives Anthony Caesar's will. This is this is a this is formally saying you're now you're now the guy. Mm-hmm. The guy's gone. Here's the will. Like and, and in, in, in in Roman society, like this is like the will's property. This is this is the the this is more important than life itself. Like your property was far more important than your life. Uh, free, like if you lose, if you lose in a political struggle, if like they just ask you to kill yourself and you get to keep your property, like that's a W in in Roman society. So like to, to put him to give the, him this authority was a huge honor and it it pays off because they have a public oration at Caesar's funeral where Antony as Bog Beef alluded to earlier absolutely whips the mob up into a frenzy. And uh it's from from that point on the the, the self-styled liberators have to have to just get the fuck out of Rome. They have to run away. Yeah, he I would say a couple things. So he dithers a bit at this moment, uh, yeah. because if, if it was just a battle, he would have not, but this is like, he's suddenly, Unfamiliar territory. he's suddenly forced to be first off to be the guy. Uh, I, and that was, really wasn't his plan to be the guy. And this is like, now you're playing politics. He was pretty yeah. good at politics, but he wasn't, this uh, is, this is a, this is a, a very difficult. I, I don't want to, I don't want to, kiss his ass too much here because like the people in Rome were already very mad about what the quote unquote liberators had done. Like, I think, I think by this time Lepidus has showed up with an army and he just wants to go and just fucking kill them. Mm-hmm. Lep- like Lepidus was the, was part of the try. This is like, it's funny. Lepidus is a great example of, of the, the, the second, the, like the, the, not the guy, the second in command who, who stays the second in command. And like, he, he lives out a good life and, and you know, he, he makes it out. Okay. Yeah. Like he's the, he's the journeyman who who has a good has a good and honorable life. But like it, Lepidus just wants to go in and just and just kill them, because he's outraged what they did to Caesar. But Anthony's like, hey, no, let's cut a deal, and Antony becomes the most powerful man in Rome, bar none. He he is he is in command of Rome. Yeah. And of course, the 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 big plot twist here is in the will. Caesar gives most of his money to his nephew Octavius and names him his son. Yeah, so Rome was uh, kind of this proto uh, 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 feudal thing in terms of like basically because they didn't have because they didn't do magic blood like the Europeans did later. Uh, <laughs> you basically uh, you created your line of succession through adoption. There's debate about this whether like this was actually a like a thing that they people chose to do or if just by circumstances that like, like Caesar like. It was. It was not. It was. It was unusual that Caesar didn't have a an heir of age when he died, or close to of age. Yeah. Like Caesarian's a, a practically a baby when, or or a, a toddler when he's when he's killed. Uh, he had a daughter who who grew up, but he didn't have a son. So it's like uh, a lot of the early emperors also weren't very good at making the sons, and so maybe this came about because of that, and it wasn't like a, a philosoph- uh, philosophical thing. It was just like a well, this is what you had to do. Yeah, it I mean, it worked. I mean, so yeah. a lot of people uh you know, there might not be a uh there might Protestantism might not be such a thing if uh you know, Henry the 8th was allowed to do this. Yeah, well, and and like and when we're talking this 
this specific example, like uh, Octavian becomes Caesar Augustus. Like he 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 becomes he he's officially the new Caesar. Like he has a Caesar name, and it, like he wasn't Caesar's actual son. But what whether you like the man or not, you have to admit he was one of the most talented administrators in in history in world history. Uh, yeah, I mean, so uh, Octavian is uh, he's a genius. Uh, you know, Caesar conquered, and I can't think of the quote, but uh, Caesar made Rome, and then Octavian made it marble. Yeah, it was a quote like this. Augustus said he, he Rome. He came to Rome, a city of bricks, and made it into a city of marble. And that's true. Like, and this is this is where this is kind of Antony's downfall is that he's the he's the guy now, but he has competition, and uh, you know, uh, to his misfortune, it happens to be someone who's extremely good at politics. If Octavian was just a regular guy. Like this story has a completely different ending. Yeah, Pro- like probably Anthony probably never loses power, but they come to conflict, and the details aren't really important other than like you have uh, you got you got two guys. They both want to be they both want to be the same thing. They both have legitimacy in the eyes of people who followed Caesar, and in the eyes of the army, which is very important. Octavian's got the money. Anthony's sitting on the throne of power. Uh, there's all kinds of machinations with the Senate. The Senate sides with Octavian, and Antony and Octavian fight it out. They have their own little civil war, right? And Antony gets his ass whooped. It's a the, that quote that Bogby read earlier about you know crossing the Alps, eating bark and and animals no one ever eaten. That's after he's defeated at Mutina. So Antony's defeated, and he can no longer be the guy. He's got to share power with Octavian and kind of Lepidus. And so at this point in the, in the history, like they, they split up the, they split up the, the empire and Antony ends up going East and running into Cleopatra. Now, something that's, um, it's not for sure, but it's likely is that he might've been sent in a deputation before Caesar met, uh, so by the way, okay. So at this point, um, you know, Cleopatra and Caesar, uh, had a long affair, uh, they even had a child together, Caesarion. However, like uh, it, it's thought that he was the first one sent in a deputation to uh, to Egypt in first first matter. And mm-hmm. the idea is that when when she saw him the first time, she's okay. So she had dealt with Caesar, and now she and she had dealt with him. But when she saw him, she's like, "Oh, this guy is this guy is uh, you know he's he's too horny. I can get him to do anything I want." <laughs> yeah, and uh, Antony and Octavian they deal they deal with the the liberators by doing what Sulla did and uh, just murdering a bunch, like murdering their political rivals in Rome before they militarily fight Brutus and Cassius. Uh, here, here's a quote from, from uh, Cassius Dio about this. Uh, so Antony killed savagely and mercilessly, not only those who names who've been posted, like, you know, uh, prescription, but likewise those who had attempted to assist any of them. So not just, not just you, but like anybody who helped you. Uh, he always viewed their heads, even if he happened to be eating, and sated himself to the fullest extent on this most unholy and pitiable sight. You get the impression, like, like Cassie, this guy hates him. So, like, who knows how ac- accurate this is? But he says that, like, he was merciless to these to these people, and uh, his wife <laughs> Fulvia also caused the death of many, both to satisfy her enmity and to gain their wealth. In some cases, men with whom her husband was not even acquainted. At any rate, when he saw the head of one man, he exclaims, I knew not this man. <laughs> There's, I always got, so for one of the things I always get the impression, so for, I think it's 
pretty obvious that he never wanted to be the guy. No. Even more so, it feels like um, part of like his actions in the war against Octavian is that like he knows he's in like a doomed timeline. I'm not like not that he knows he's going to lose, but like this is like not the way things should have went around anyways. Well, he didn't he didn't do this to the liberators after he when he gained control. He didn't do this before he lost Octavian. Like this happened once they were sharing power, which I think by itself says something that like this is probably not uh contrary to what uh, Cassius Dio says. This probably wasn't Anthony's idea. It it feels like like as soon as Caesar died, I mean as soon like as soon as he especially when he meets up with Cleopatra, it feels like Winning the war is second to like just having more time to spend with Cleopatra, and that like they're just doomed to die together. And yeah, oh yeah, and uh, that's and by the way, I don't even think that he feels like that's the worst thing in the world. No, it's, and if you go by like the like dramatic treatments of it, that's very often the way it's portrayed. That uh, that he was like that uh, he was kind of romantic in his own way. And, and, and like she gets a really unfair rap. Like she, they, they, there are some Roman writers who like say she was literally a witch. Like she was casting magic spells on Antony to make him. Yeah, uh, that's yeah, that's not and, and Cleopatra the seventh is like one of the most important figures in history. I think we should we have to do another we have to do episode. She was a political genius, absolutely. Uh, so you know, like these guys that show up from Rome and stuff, like uh, she uses the power that she has uh her seduction and she like she just like she sees these guys show up from rome they weren't you know they're wearing these these uh you know these stuff and she she susses out that they're good at war and stuff and she's like i can like win so she's got her own war going on so, you know she's with her brother yeah so she's uh you know she's like an heir to this this great kingdom which but like she's not necessarily going to be uh the queen unless she can when this this common thing happens in, in monarchy where you have to kill all your brothers and sisters uh to to be to be to rule but she definitely wants to rule she sees these guys come over here they're badass guys and they're horny and uh she can use this to win the wars she does this multiple <laughs> times uh she's uh she's a political genius there's a great story. It might be in Plutarch, like where like early on in their relationship, they're like they're fishing out on the Nile, and uh, and Anthony can't catch a fish, and he's like really embarrassed because he's getting he's getting like he's getting skunked in front of all these like all these people, right? It's it's humiliating, and she just takes him aside. She says very publicly, and like you know, you should just leave the fishing to the peasants and like the queens of of Egypt. Like your your lot as a Roman is to conquer the world. Yeah, he was not like her intellectual equal. <laughs> no, no, it does. They don't. She's not portrayed that way. No, uh, but you know, in, in her defense too, he goes like uh, after after the the war with the liberators is settled. Like the Brutus Cassius, they're dead. They've prescribed to everyone. A, they've not only killed Cicero, but Anthony's wife stabbed his tongue with like her hairpin. Like, it's, it's, like, like that that shit's done with the, the last the last of the Pompeian faction, and that shit's over. And they we're, we're we're kind of back to the same problem we had with Caesar and Pompey. You have Antony and Octavian, and Octavian cer- certainly didn't wasn't someone who could uh, tolerate having a, an equal. Whether Antony could or not, I don't know. When he hooks up with her, so you know he hooks up yeah. with with Cleopatra, uh, and you know Cleopatra had been Caesar's. 
and she's queen and she's queen of the richest place and like the she's queen of the breadbasket of the Roman of the Roman Republic. Like she's this is like these lands are super rich and powerful. Like to take to take those over uh, is making a big political move on his part. Yeah, one of the things though, when you hook up with Cleopatra, is that uh, at this time she's got uh, you know Caesarion's with her. Yeah, he sees his blood. Yeah, and uh, and according to and according to to Mark Anthony, that is. He is uh, little Caesarion is the the heir to the empire. Yeah, and like again, you, it's sketchy. There are different interpretations of what happened. The the one most hostile to Anthony is that he was going to try to make himself king of Rome, and she would be a, a queen of the East, and Caesarion would become king, like you know the the prince of Rome, and, and Anthony and Cleopatra's children would rule the East. But that, that's like, you know, that's... That's definitely Julia, definitely Julius Caesar and Cleopatra had that plan. I'm almost for sure. Well, if Caesar wouldn't have had... I mean, Caesar, if, if Caesar hadn't been murdered and his, like, uh, he probably would have made his, his actual son, his heir, and like, we, yeah, it would have been a hereditary monarchy. But, like, we don't know for sure... He would have been, that's what, let's stop there and say, he would have been king of the world. Yes, of the known world, yeah. He would have been Alexander. Yeah, this this yeah. is like there's the queen of, of the Soviet Union in 1986, and you're the king of the United States, and you now you rule everything. The bottom line is when Antony goes to – when Antony and Octavian go to war, like there's no longer going to be a republic. There's not going to be a triumvirate. There's not going to be uh, co-equal rulers. Like somebody's going to come out as a top dog. And uh, Antony, while he was always very good militarily – uh, he was never good politically, and here is kind. Of, and this is kind of in you read a history book, it's like well, we're we're zooming to Actium, and he loses a battle, and that's it. And you're like, oh, I guess Antony just lost the war. But that's not really the entire story. Uh, so this, here's here's a quote from again from Cassius Dio, a guy who who does not like Mark Antony. Like this is this is not someone who's writing a sympathetic uh, story about him. So we're talking about during the war with Octavian, all these people that Antony and Cleopatra helped out are now defecting away from them. And he says, I cannot help but marvel that while a great many others, though they had received numerous gifts from Antony and Cleopatra, now left them in the lurch. Yet the men who were being kept for gladiatorial combats, slaves, who were among the most despised, showed the utmost zeal on their behalf and fought most bravely. For Anthony and Cleopatra, yeah. So to the to the end, the the his soldiers loved them. This is one of the ways he gets dicked. Is that uh, so? After Caesar dies, there's like uh, you know, there's like the Caesar before it was like the populares and and um, and the optimists. Afterwards, it's kind of like the Caesar people and the not Caesar people. And a lot of these snakes, like Cicero, are like, well, we're a Caesar team, but we're moderates. Yeah. And all these kinds of people that pretend they're on Anthony's side, but they're kind of moderate, uh, they all dick him over. Yeah, they, they're front runners. They know they're going to go with the sure thing. And like this is the thing about Augustus is that uh, we talked about. I mentioned him like briefly on the last podcast we did with Tingsorg. It's like uh, he was an unscrupulous kind of cowardly. Pr- he was the opposite of, of Anthony in almost every way. He was brilliant. He was a great administrator. He was a pussy. He, uh, he didn't want to fight. Uh, he would, he would play sick, literally play sick during the war to avoid doing things that he needed to do. Uh, he was absolutely merciless to his enemies. Uh, he had none of the, none, none of these big, big fat, uh, fat Tony guy virtues that you see in Anthony. He's like the cold aut- autistic ruler. Yeah. So, 
Anthony before before Caesar dies is winning and taking over the world through like things like like the things that they're helping him are like things like trust. Uh, after Caesar dies, the things that win are things like being uh, you know uh, dastardly. Yeah, and this is like yeah, this is how the the man who beats him beat him by conspiring with and then betraying the most powerful people in Rome one by one, and finally. He knocks off his last rival. There's kind of a brains versus brawn thing, and also, yes. and also like a uh, a, uh, a real politique versus like virtue stuff, and like all of this, you can see like um, Caesar has like both in all of these things. Yes, that, this is why this is why he, he's one of the most famous people in history because he uh, exhibited the like the martial personal virtues that people love, and he was also very good at like at, at administrating and doing the the doing the politics of trying to take over the world yeah caesar could play so like caesar's kind of like in between both these guys in both respects both respects uh so caesar like caesar can definitely play dirty politics uh he'll fuck your sister to get ahead uh but he also is virtuous caesar is uh caesar is a great rider he could uh he could ride with both hands behind his back uh he's he's he can fight but he can't fight as good as anthony uh, he's a good administrator. He's not as good as Octavian. Octavian's a a, a genius, uh, a politician. Let me let me close out Anthony's life here. Like, cause you like if you're listening to this, you know the story of Anthony and Cleopatra. And if you don't know it, then like you can well, you can read we're, Shakespeare. We're helping you. This is part of right. Well, I mean, so, like, you know the basics of what happened. Every like this is one of the most like the one of the most cherished stories in, in history. You can uh, you can watch Elizabeth Taylor and was it Rex whatever. Do it. You can you can watch uh, Antony and Cleopatra. You, you know you know what happened. But let's let's like, take what again. One of his enemies wrote about him as like the you know the, putting the exclamation point on this guy's life. Antony had no superior in comprehending his duty. Yet he committed many acts of folly. He sometimes distinguished himself for bravery. Yet often failed through cowardice. He was characterized equally by greatness of soul and by servility of mind. He would plunder the property of others and squandered his own. He showed compassion to many without cause and punished even more without justice. Consequently, though he rose from utter weakness to great power and from the depths of poverty to great riches, he derived no profit from either circumstance, but after hoping to gain single-handed the empire of the Romans, he took his own life. Yeah. He committed suicide before Octavian's entry into Alexandria. Something to, uh, one thing that's pretty cool. I don't know if people have seen it. So, um, Julius Caesar and Mark Anthony, like they have, there's like a Roman story. And this is one of the things we're talking about, like historiography. Like, well, all you know about Rome is from these people, is from, uh, the Romans and all this kind of stuff. Well, um, <laughs> there's an Egyptian record of these people. Uh, and there is an awesome, like, I don't know if it's in a, a pyramid or something, but there's like a, you know, one of these walls with this great, um, like Egyptian, uh, uh, you know, picture writing and yeah. pictures. Uh, there's like a, there's like a completely Egyptian, like picture of Caesar, uh, uh, Caesarion and, um, and Cleopatra. Yeah. She was the last, the last Pharaoh, the last Pharaoh of Egypt. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's do a little story here of Cleopatra. And, uh, and, uh, I love this. I used to post, I used to post quotes from this all the time. First off, here's like my favorite sentence in English. I mean, I, I, this is my favorite sentence ever. This is the reason why people talk shit. About, this is only sometime in like the 80s or 90s, uh, Dryden translation became uncool. 
uh dryden is fucking dope uh dryden was like a, a master of, of latin he would like punch up politicians um speeches by they would just give him their speech he would do nothing to it other than translate it to latin back to english back to latin and back to english again and all <laughs> really and then their speech would just sound so much cooler uh so listen to this uh so yeah he would like you know like people do this with japanese the english uh you know what I mean? yeah but like if you do it with latin things just sound cooler uh so check this out <clears throat> this is my favorite sentence in, in all of english to return to cleopatra plato admits four sorts of flattery that she had a thousand <laughs> that yeah yeah they unironically said that that she made Anthony her slave through like through witchery and seduction like that's this is not something in the quote here but something I just I just know is that so like when he first uh comes comes in, in near her as as Anthony is not as Caesar um he has he has his guys go send out a letter and he's like okay I want you to come to me in my camp uh uh you know tomorrow and she sends a letter back that says, I think it would be better for you come nearer to me than me nearer to you. And he does it. And, yep. and she knew he would do it. <laughs> so here, here's some funny. This is, this is very, I mean, this is very unique. <clears throat> Were Antony serious or disposed to mirth, she had at any moment some new delight or charm to meet his wishes. At every turn, she was upon him and let him escape her neither, neither by day nor night. She played dice with him, drank with him, hunted with him. And when he exercised in, in, in arms, she was there to see. At night, she would go rambling with him to disturb and torment people at their doors and windows. <laughs> uh, I don't know if people know what this is. This is uh, We have a name for this that I can't say on this podcast in the South. Uh, there's like, a, there's like a, a, a Yankee name for this, like um, a surprise knocking or whatever. Yes, right. You go knock at someone's door and, uh, and then you run away. Yeah, I mean, we everybody did that when they were a kid, right? Yeah, it's a huge thrill. It's very funny. Yeah. So he's like, uh, this is this is how you know he's not really meant to be the guy. I'm this, and th you know, he he likes to get drunk and doing this shit at night. Yeah. For Anthony also went in a servant's disguise, and from these expeditions, he often came home very scurviously answered, and sometimes even <laughs> beaten severely. Although most people guessed who it was. Uh, in other words, he would just go out and get in like bar fights and shit. Uh, and he would like wear he would wear clothes like a commoner but uh the, the author thinks that like he, people knew who it was anyways however the alexandrians alexandrians in general liked it all well enough and joined good humoredly and kindly in his frolic and play saying they were much obliged to anthony for acting his tragic parts at rome and keeping comedy for them mm, acting out the tragedy of life yeah i think that's, that's perfect summation of 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 who he was yeah um, like he, he knows, like he knows he's not supposed to be, he's like, um, uh, uh, who's, you know, who was the second lead singer in, uh, in Van Halen? Sammy Hagar. Yeah, Sammy Hagar knew he's not Roth. He's like, well, I'm just going to do my best. I mentioned him before and like, uh, Lepidus was with, uh, Caesar and, and with Antony and Augustus and like Lepidus like successfully, uh, retired as the as the like the number two guy in Al Qaeda, right? He, he went back to his villa and hung out and and, and died of old age. Like, uh, you you get the impression there there are people who can do that. Yeah, he, but he, I don't think that should have been him. He certainly wouldn't have died. He wouldn't. I don't think he would die. Have died young if um 
if someone else had taken up Caesar's place, people would have just brought him on their team because uh, he was just uh, you know handsome and things like and and uh, personable. Yeah, I, I imagine like, this is purely speculation, and feel anybody can feel free to laugh at it. But it's like I I feel like from what you know we know about Roman history, like if if uh, Caesar's nephew hadn't been Augustus, if he had just been a normal guy, you know, Anthony probably could have spent a few more years being the guy and then like retired and uh, who knows what the republic like, uh, the republic would have probably limped on for another generation or maybe more yeah it's hard to so there's something that happens in history a lot is that whenever there's a great revolution you know traditions and rules and stuff are very very set in stone and then as soon as there's a revolution it's anybody's game and so all of a sudden so this is like napoleon and france and, and you know like yeah. As soon as the the door blows open, then like all the smartest and uh, and uh, people who are really really slick just kind of show up. Chris Yarn was talking about this. That he was saying like, uh, you know, working in the foreign service, like in the you know in like the, in like the nineties and stuff. He would he would be like in in like Cyprus or whatever, and like or sorry, growing up in the foreign service, his parents were in there, and uh, like people like they would like there would be like local people who were like like smart people educated people like people who like had interest in politics but like you just knew that like there wasn't really any politics you could do you could just sort of carry out the mission of the united states right and he said like the second that that ends and that that would end in place in like eastern europe and shit that like all of a sudden it's like uh uh opportunities arrive and people who were just uh people who were people like octavian just kind of show up or or Lenin on a in a sealed train car going to the east. Yeah, when the, everything the are. everything is at play now. See, he never wanted this. He never wanted to be the guy. Can we get into being the guy now? Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about being the guy. So, the, so this is about being the guy, and it's one of the first things to to get out of the way at the beginning. And so, like, who's the guy? The guy is Castro. Castro's the guy. Lenin's the guy. Well, first off, you're just let's stay out of. Um, uh, similar uh, similar things. Just stay with the thing. Okay, so let's say you're Anthony. Do you want to be Caesar? Remember, Caesar's the uh, that's the guy they make all the statues of. He's the most important guy. You, you you've said this before about Caesar. I don't know if it's a quote or if it's something you made up. But you said like that you called Caesar the most complete man in Western history, right? Yes. Uh, that like that that is absolutely true. And that's the reason why that we still think about Caesar. Uh, he he was the guy. He could, he could do it all. Like he he, he was. Like I don't think I don't think you can say that about Castro. You can't say that about Lenin. You can't say that about a lot a lot of. You can't say that about Alexander the Great because he didn't really seem like he was very good at ruling uh, in his short life. Yeah. Like Caesar is one of the one of the greatest the, the greatest man in history like aside from like you know uh, we're not talking about religious figures. Yeah, but so let, you can nobody can nobody can follow in those footsteps, but yeah, if you're Anthony, do you want to be that? Hell, I mean, I hell no, I wouldn't. So, well, this is something people talk about with even the US presidency, they'll say like, "Well, here's someone who should run." And they say like, uh, being the president is not like the greatest thing in the world. Uh, and so, so, uh, here's some things that like were normal for Caesar. So, uh, for, you notice that there's a meme picture going around of, uh, uh, like, uh, people making the soy face at, 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 uh, the Rubicon crossing. <laughs> yeah. So, well, yeah. Here, here's one thing people may not know about the Rubicon crossing. So the moment he crosses the Rubicon, there are like just hundreds of people like, wait, uh, I don't know if people have seen like, uh, you know, they've seen the Godfather when he, uh, when his, um, the day of the wedding, there's all these people that come to him and they have business to do with him. Yeah. Uh, well, Caesar's like that all the time. Every day, 
there's people waiting on him and he's got to and he's got to do business with him so at all this time all this shit is happening on the rubicon there's like 300 people sitting there waiting for their 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 five minutes with caesar this is pretty much like all the time 24 7 let's talk about other things so remember like everything all the business in in your here's another thing and you know in goodfellas there's that uh where they talk about what it's like to be the uh the capo or whatever and they say well he sits on he sits around he talks to people all day uh, well, that, this is part of it. One of the things is, you, you know, Rome's getting bigger. You have to be everywhere. People don't know this. Cicero, I mean, Caesar would sleep in a litter while they're taking him somewhere else. <laughs> well, we, we talk about patronage a lot, but this is like the most basic form of like they, their government is patronage, like they, they like direct patronage. And now he's becoming the pa- the patron of of most of the known world. Yeah. So uh, for, imagine how many how many sit downs you have to have with clients when you're that when you're the guy all day. Every the closest thing in, in modern politics is 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 uh, having to call people and ask them for money all day. <laughs> yeah. People talked about this. So you so you, by the way, you have to remember all these people's names. That's an important thing. If you're this guy, you you'd remember everybody. Um, so all the business goes through you. Mm-hmm. He's followed around by three people who are taking notes of things he's saying. Because, like, he's a hub for, like, all this business, the business of the government. Everything has to go through him. So there's three people writing down things you're saying. You're hauled from place to place at night. There's no off-season. There's no – your love life, like, um, like Caesar has a very exciting love life. But it is, first off, like, his family life, like, if you – like, let's say you marry someone who's the guy. If you marry Caesar, you're sharing – you you have a polyamorous relationship. Uh, uh, you you might get in like the you know the sense of you ever seen the there's like the um uh there's like the Mormon or or the uh, Middle Eastern guys and like you get Ahmed one day a week and 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 you, you know your other wife his other wife gets him gets him Tuesdays yeah uh, so Caesar's not really yours second off like pretty much every girl he he uh, uh, you know um, hollers at is for a political expediency. This is something that becomes almost formalized later in the, in, you know, in, in monarchy is like, you literally like just have to marry people to like make alliances and stuff. There's an argument that with Cleopatra, that might not have been entirely the case because he spent a lot, like part of the reason why uh, Anthony was able to screw things up so badly in Rome was that Caesar just kind of hung out for a couple mo- uh, a couple months and like cruised up the river with uh, Cleopatra. Yep. Now, I think Caesar, Caesar definitely um, uh, was very attracted to her. However, being Caesar comes first, and it was politically expedi- yeah. expedient. There's a there's a great example of what I think of when I think of uh, uh, Caesar and Cleopatra. You ever seen Intolerable Cruelty? Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a funny movie, and the, and the the comedy of the movie is basically like the comedy of them. The the joke in the movie is that so a, she's a gold digger, Catherine Zeta Jones. And he's the divorce, and he's the skeezy divorce attorney. So they're like they're both like playing games, and that's kind of what happens. Like when Caesar marries uh, 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 Cleopatra, they're both like just like this kind of like extreme like uh, person. Like uh, mm. well, he doesn't marry her. That that's important. Like the. Uh, uh- Anthony, Anthony married. Well, it was illegally. illegally. <laughs> yeah, that's something that used to happen a lot, like in the, like in the the sixties and stuff. They would be like, "Oh, he married this woman, but it was a bigamy." Yeah, he just 
you just you just double up yeah yeah that was i don't know how that worked but i know in the south that was like some people talk about all the time i guess that was like a rambling yeah. man thing that's one of those funny things about like how it's not funny actually sad like like that was a big deal because back when the nuclear family still existed if you were doing that you were like stealing from your family you were you were taking money that you're supposed to be giving to your wife and your kids and giving it to another wife and other kids yeah but, i mean of course what what would bigamy mean in the 21st century like there's no there's no uh, solid relationships anymore anyway so it doesn't really matter yeah but the, the the point is okay so being the guy okay being the guy is like <laughs> it's a full time like all the time there's no party time uh you're you're the guy all the time Anthony is not that guy. Anthony is a passionate, passionate man. Anthony falls in love with just random girls and would just like, like a modern person. I would just, yeah. The, the, the hanging out with the actress is like the, the most relatable, real scandalizing because he's he something met this hot ass actress. That he was just carting around town. Yeah. I get, you know, that's the, uh, you know, in Greek actress would be, uh, something a little bit different in, in Greece. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, also in, uh, in, uh, uh, you, you talked about, um, what's Shakespeare's time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways. Um, okay. <laughs> I guess even in Roman times, like actresses kind of like halfway between stripper and actress, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, okay. So, um, you, all of this happens. There's not always the guy. So I would definitely say someone like, um, uh, Joe Biden's not the guy. No. FDR might've been the guy. Well, that's that's the that's the whole point of oligarchy, right? That you that there is there can't be a guy; it has to be distributed among the aristocracy. And we live in an oligarchy. Yeah, there, there's not going ever going to be a guy until until the oligarchy's ended. FDR might have been the guy. Um, yes, but but I mean, if you go, like uh, we our multiple guest Curtis Yarvin says essentially calls him a revolutionary figure, and he like he I think he calls it like the beginning of the Third Republic. Yeah, he's just uh, literally the FDR was a dictator. Huey Long was the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and the thing is, like, uh, we ha- in our modern culture, we feel like if you're not the guy, you're nothing. Well, that's not really true. If you don't want to be the guy, you shouldn't be the guy. And what happened with with Anthony is Anthony is forced to be the guy. A good good example, someone who's very very close to to, to Mark Anthony. I don't know if people know this guy is Rob Gronkowski. <laughs> Rob Gronkowski is a receiver for the uh, for the pay. I don't know if he is still now, but it's- he, he he went to the Buccaneers, right? For oh, that Super Bowl. Yeah, he went with with Brady. Tom Brady. Yeah, he followed Tom Brady to the to the Buccaneers. Yeah, so Brady is Caesar, and and there is some some different some some uh, uh, comparison here. Uh, you know um, the dude who uh, Grantland guy. Yeah, Bill Simmons. Yeah, Bill Simmons was talking about that. Bill Simmons went on vacation in the Caribbean. And it just happened to be that the same resort he was at, Brady was there. And he said that uh, there's a guy that flies with Brady wherever he's at, no matter what time of year. And Brady has to throw like 100 pa- – Brady throws passes to him like every day. To keep his arm loose? Uh, yeah, to keep, his, to keep his arm. And the, the funny part of that was that he said, well, let, well uh, uh, and apparently he was like – he got to talk to Brady. And he was like, well, I want to catch some passes. And the guy and and uh, the dude who flies around with Brady to catch pass and was like, uh, "You don't." He's like, "If you catch pass, catch pass from Tom Brady, like he'll hurt you, like he'll break your hands." <laughs> but uh, the point of this is, that, so there's another guy that plays with Brady, and he and he's he's a, he's a right hand man to Brady, Rob Gronkowski. He's, he's a, one of the great receivers of our time. He's very important. He's super important, but he's not Brady. 
Rob Gronkowski doesn't practice when they're uh, when he's in the off season. Uh, Gronk likes to party. Do you remember that there was like a little scandal back when they were on the Patriots, where like he uh, hooked up with some some club girl and she took a selfie of them in bed together. Yeah, and they yeah. tried to cancel them, and they were just like, "Well, that's Gronk." Like Gronk, yeah. just like, the guy's name is Gronk. <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah, and, and uh, Gronk even fulfills the fit. Like that, you could imagine that's essentially what what uh, Anthony looked like, if not like in actuality, but like in in in. Uh, metaphor, but uh, yeah, Gronk is like a big muscled up dude who uh, he likes to uh, he likes to party, and he's he doesn't practice 365 days a year. He's important, but he's not the guy. Brady's the guy. Being the guy is you you're you have to be the guy. It's a punishing life of the guy. Like what can you t- what can you take from Anthony's life? And like it, there there is a moral thread, and I, it's hard because like could you say could he have just ste- could he have been Lepidus? Could he have just like stepped aside and and let Augustus rule. Like, I mean, could he have literally done that? Because, like, it's like you you mentioned the mafia earlier, and like, if you're in these situations, if you're powerful enough, it doesn't matter if like you if you just completely don't want to you don't want the crown. Just your existence is too dangerous to the person who's who's, who's in charge. Right? Yeah. Like he might not have been able to to uh, let go of the wolf's ears, even if he wanted to. Yeah, this. I mean, this is what happened to Caesarion. I mean, Caesarion was probably like a five year old kid, and uh, and Octavian killed him because uh, he was he was older than that. But even the 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 nice version of that is that Octavian. Uh, well, by this time, Augustus said like uh, one of his advisors told him that too many Caesars is not a good thing. So he uh, he sent like uh, wisely they sent like, they sent Caesarion to like to the east of Persia or something or maybe even further than that and Octavian sent him a, like sent him a messenger saying like you know hey you should come back and and you can rule uh, Egypt under me and as soon as he came back they he got fucking murdered yeah and by the way like if you have the little kid who who's the king like this has happened a bunch of times in, in medieval Rome it's like. Uh, you you can just like um, you know keep them around and you rule as their uh, vizier or whatever. Yes, it happened many times in, Eng- in English crown history. Yeah, let me. Uh, there's the. Uh, let me just read a little quote there from that. Caesarion was the nickname conferred by the Alexandrians to Ptolemy fifteenth Caesar, eldest son of Cleopatra the seventh. He was born in forty seven, probably on the twenty third of June. And Cleopatra claimed that Caesar, who had been with her in, exile, in Alexandria the preceding summer, was, was the father. In 44, he was associated with his mother as joint king. In 34, at the donations, he was named the king of kings. A king claiming Caesar as his father might well seem a rival to Octavian, Caesar's adopted son and heir. It was probably at his instigation that Op- Opius wrote his pamphlet denying that claim. Antony declared that Caesar had himself acknowledged the boy as, as his son. At 30, Cleopatra declared him to be of age to, to stimulate the loyalty of the Alexandrians and send him away for safety, but he was tricked into returning and executed on Octavian's order. Caesar's paternity is still disputed. Yeah, Caesar, uh, Caesar definitely did not openly claim him, but like uh, he wouldn't do like, he wouldn't do that at the, that early anyway. Because for one thing, uh, he was already married to Calpurnia at the time, so that wasn't uh, super appropriate, especially because she was a foreign ruler. Yeah, that's the best. The be- one of the best uh, claims that he was uh, in love with her is that he moved her to Rome, and that was uh, that was kind of pushing it. Which I mean, that that if, if there's one thing we can. 
one thing you can say about Caesar is that he was not dis- he he was not discreet in his the way he treated his wives. He he cheated he uh, cheated on them and like which was common, but like the 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 way he did it, I think, was somewhat more notable. That you know what I'm saying? Like, like he was he was doing it with other uh, Dis- discretion was was definitely important. Yeah, like uh, I mean, Kate, he was he was boning Cato's sister. Yeah, and uh, by the way, that's uh, <laughs> Brutus's mother. Like Brutus is probably uh, is is correctly regarded as like one of the arch traitors in history, because like here's a guy who was like uh, treated him very well uh, by all accounts, like really did love his mother, and then he betrayed him first to go serve with the guy who fucking murdered his father. Uh, Pompey killed Brutus's father, I believe, right? Uh, I think so. I think I, I yeah, and, and uh, then he literally stabbed him in the back. So. You, I guess you can read. Uh, there are still people who like treat them as liberators, and like you can see academics who think that Caesar was terrible, and they think that Brutus and and uh, Cassius like had good motives. Uh, I don't agree with that. Fuck those guys. They the, the devil is probably chewing on them like a pack of tr- uh, trident gum. <laughs> okay, so like, okay, if you look at a young a young um, young Anthony, you look at a young Caesar, you don't see a whole lot of difference in terms of like. Um, uh, potential. So, like, where does this, in terms of being the guy, there's a matter of expectation I think is important. This is something that gets brought up in terms of, uh, I know our friend talks about this with, with Lenin. He emphasized that Lenin was uh, basically a displaced elite. A lot of, you mm-hmm. see this a lot with terms of like, um, there, well, let's, let's do some, uh, some examples here. So, first, like, um, if, if you were to like, if you were to find, if you were to find out that like, uh, when you, when you died, like you were a multimillionaire, would you be okay with that? Well, hell yeah. Right. And so, and this, this is, there's, there's a Chris Rock joke about this where he says, uh, if, if Bill Gates woke up with Oprah's money, he would jump out the fucking window. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Slitting his, slitting his throat or something. And now here's another question. Like, let's say, uh, uh, I said you either have to play Russian roulette, you have a one in six chance of blowing your brains out, or you spend the rest of your life as like a normal guy in Zaire. Holy shit. Yeah, I think I'd probably take the take the revolver. Yeah, but you wouldn't take the raw revolver for being like a multimillionaire versus like being Bill Gates. No, no, of course not. And so there's an expectation thing here. There's there's a uh, and I don't know how to quantify that, but someone like Napoleon, someone like Caesar, like uh they're gonna just keep coming until they're the until they're the guy. Yeah, there's something in them. Like uh, Caesar would look finally look up to Alexander, and, and the quote about Alexander was that he literally cried because he ran out of stuff to conquer. Like he was despondent. He was the king of the world, and that wasn't enough because there's still a little bit of world out there he hadn't seen. Yeah, this is. Uh, I mean, if you want to be that figure, I mean, you have to give everything, and you you definitely need some energy. There's uh, a lot of uncomfortable stuff. I'd rather not get into the SJWs uh, kind of. Uh, talk about with this kind of thing. Everyone knows there's like this sort of expectation. It, it's like a, a you know like a, a, a charge spring in some uh, in some ways. Uh, the elite elite overproduction thing. A big part of it is this ten percent of your population walking around with a, a t- law degree. Most of these people are not going to accept being like a uh, you know stack a barista. <laughs> they're not going to accept this. They're going to either like end up in jail or with a great job. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, you 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 kind of hinted at this early in the episode, like the Rome was suffering from elite overproduction at the time, and it was pretty uh, uh, elegantly solved by Augustus and Antony 
when they just fucking uh, started hacking people to de- hacking people to death. Yeah, uh, you know, war was the best the best uh, medicine for this, but they were too they were so successful. I don't know, and we'll talk about this more another time. But uh, I don't. Know, so, like, why did Rome like happen? Rome essentially is like the first place where they like professionally had a military. And uh, so if you think of that in terms of like uh, now, like if you look at the United States, the United States is known for being this huge military power. At the beginning, we were just like anyone else. The The idea was that you have a Navy, you don't have an army, and you draft an army when <sighs> shit goes down. Well, I, you can go further than that because at the time, like when, when they, our country was founded, like Britain did did have a, a standing army. And it was that wasn't, uh, you know, necessarily a, a common thing. But like we expl- our country explicitly did not want that. We did not want to have a standing army. And it, we kind of if, if not literally, we, we uh, functionally didn't have one until, you know, World War Two. Yeah. And they they very much professionalized this and like you have to like you have to make bank doing this. Like but but essentially like people people who are in the army for a living is not very common. This, you know, damn, this is a really good point because uh, you, you're the same age as me. You remember in school, like this was taught to us in like the, the historiography of the of, of of modern U.S. history was like that it was really stupid that we kept refusing to have a like a, we kept drawing down the military after every war like that was regarded as like a really dumb thing right mm-hmm. like that was literally in our my history book that like well after the world war ii we wisely realized that we do need to have a standing army and we need to be you know up in everybody's shit all the time well you know where did that lead yeah, us if you have a, like so what you're supposed to do like under like uh, international law whatever the way that people uh uh the nice thing to do is you have you have a navy full time, so the navy does never go away because I mean, what you can't just like make ships like immediately yes. and stuff. And uh, you know, you need to patrol your your waters and stuff. And the marines are full time. The marines are the, are the the basically the army of the navy. And then uh, the army is something you have you have some army officers, but not very many. And then whenever war happens, like oh god, we're being invaded, or these guy or there's a problem with something, uh, then you draft everybody and you hand out rifles and yep. stuff. And this is what like everyone does. But if you just have like like people that are like in the army like for a living, you need to like they have to go like conquer stuff. This is the this is the kind of the the I don't know if it was a trap that Rome felt like like okay that Rome started out much the same way the Greeks did like where you had these these armies of like literally citizen soldiers people who were like they because they were landed citizens they had an obligation to serve in, in the military but the problem is when you have a far flung empire you can't do that anymore you have to have you got to have boots on the ground and that's what like with the, a lot of the Marian reforms essentially created this professional military and i mean like professional in in the in the sense that he's talking about like an actual professional military and you have to you have to give those guys stuff to fight and that was kind of uh the beginning of these imperial strongmen who would who would come to power through the legions because like like their whole thing is i'm going to take this legion to uh bulgaria and we're going to loot a bunch of stuff and you're all going to become rich and by the way wouldn't it be cool if i was the emperor yeah. The thing about I guess the thing about Caesar is he kind of did this, but we don't know because he was killed. But you get the impression that he wasn't gonna. He was kind of the the Marcus Aurelius type of enlightened despot, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas as soon as the A team was gone off the the uh, the the varsity squad was off the scene, things kind of went to shit. 
like I said, I would like to do a podcast specifically on that sometime because I think that's going to be really relevant to where we're at in the 21st century in America. Yeah. Making their way to all. 